Father, we just come to you today again as we look at this great chapter on faith and uh, as we finish it up, Lord, and we see these men and women who who've finished the job you gave them to do, Lord. And, and the lesson here that, uh, Lord, I know you want to teach us today is that, that all of us have been given a call. And all of us, if we're, we're your children, Lord, have been given a task to do on this earth, several tasks probably, Lord, and you want us to finish the job. And we can only finish that job when we have real faith, when we, when we put all of our trust in you uh, for, the, for the, what we need, for you to supply all the needs that, that we have in order to, to fulfill your calling on our lives. So, Lord, teach us these lessons today and, and just bless our study by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the world is replete with examples of uh, our instances where projects were started uh, by nations and by individuals, and they were never completed. Uh, let me just give you a few examples. In, in uh, 2005, uh, uh, the, they began work on the New China Mall in the Pearl River Delta. And it was supposedly going to be the largest mall in the world. And they've worked on it all of these years, and today it's only 20% complete. Uh, it's, it, doesn't, it, it was supposed to be hundreds of thousands of, of visitors each year, and they just have a few visitors each year. They're probably never going to complete that mall. Some of you are familiar with Jeffrey Chaucer. You, remember, you know who I'm talking about? He wrote that famous thing, We Were Made to Swallow Them, when we were in high school and college called The Canterbury Tales. Actually, uh, you like that girl. <laughs> Actually, uh, he never really finished the Canterbury Tales. What we have is the short version. So if you've read the Canterbury Tales, you've, you've read the short version. Well, I got to tell you what, the short version is plenty long enough for me. So, so I'm glad he didn't write anymore, but, but I know Bridget wished he had finished it. But anyway... Uh, and let me give you another work that wasn't, wasn't ever completed. In Cincinnati, back in the 1920s, they began a subway system, and uh, they never finished it. They ran out of funds. They, they, the Great Depression came, and they never finished it, and they still haven't finished it to this day. And if you go under beneath the city of Cincinnati, there are all sorts of tunnels there, but uh, concrete tunnels, but the, the subway is still incomplete and, and probably never will be finished. Even... Leonardo da Vinci's great masterpiece, The Last Supper, which is in Milan. I actually had a chance to see that when I was in college. But it's not complete. He, the, he supposedly was going to put a roof on the upper room, and he never completed the roof. So, so there's a lot of things that aren't complete. I don't know about you, but there are several projects I've started in my life that I didn't complete. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. I mean, we're all guilty of doing that. But here's what I want you to see today. Here's the lesson in this text today. If we have real faith, if, if we have real faith and God calls us to do a job, we're going to complete that job uh, if we have true faith. Remember how the author started this section. If you go back with me to chapter number 10, uh, look back at verse number 38. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse number 38. And, and this is where it all began. He said, now the, now the just shall live by faith. Now, we all know that we get saved by faith. We all know that we, we die by faith. I mean, by faith, you're, gonna, by faith, you're either going to wind up in heaven 
or you're going to wind up in hell. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to wind up in, your, in heaven. If your faith is in yourself or any other religion or anything else, you're going to wind up in hell. I can tell you that right now. Whether you believe that or not, that's where you're going to end up. So, so we know that the just are saved by faith. We know that the just die by faith. Where the problem comes in for a lot of us is this, this lesson that the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. Every day we're to walk by faith if we're a born-again believer. But listen to what he said. He asked that. But if anyone draws back from his faith, if anyone draws back from his belief, by so will have no pleasure in him. Then look at verse number 39. Here's the kicker. If, you have, if you're truly born again and you have real faith, this applies to you. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, to destruction, to hell. We're not of those who draw back, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, what did he mean by all of that? Well, what he mean, let me tell you, what he meant by that is if your faith has substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. The substance means your faith is real. If your faith has substance, which means you have real faith, then you have the faith to finish the job that God calls you to do. You will not draw back. You, will, you won't draw back on your salvation, and you won't draw back on your calling. Whatever God has called you to do, you're going to complete that calling if you're a born-again believer. And that's the lesson of faith that we're going to see here today. Now, what's my calling? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're a born-again believer here today, you should know your calling. And if you don't know your calling, you should be asking God. I mean, time is short. You should be asking God, what is my calling? What is it that you want me to do with the rest of the years that I have on this earth? I want to live my life for you, and I want to know what it is that you've got for me to do until the time I die. That's your calling. And if you don't have a calling, that would worry me a little bit. Now, your calling doesn't have to be you've got to go to the mission field or you've got to be a pastor or you've got to be a, a, a worship leader. That doesn't, that, you don't have to be a minister to have a calling. But God has a job for you to do. It might be you're a mother and God has a job for you to raise your parents. You might be a neighbor and God has a, a job for you to pray for your neighborhood and get your neighborhood saved. You might be a teacher and God has you placed in a particular school where he wants you to, to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's your calling. But you need to find your calling. And if you don't know your calling, hey, don't squander away the rest of your life. Ask God, Lord, God, what do you have for me to do? And I promise you, if you're willing to do that, God will show you, and by faith, you will finish the job. I mean, we're going to be looking at some characters here in the last part of chapter number 11 that had the faith to finish the job. I mean, they, they, they're, that's why they're in this hall of faith. Now, there's some strange guys here and some strange women here, but they had the faith to finish the job, and that's how they landed up in the hall of faith. And guess what? You're going to land up in the hall of faith, too, if you have real faith, because you're going to finish the job. And God is going to say to you, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, 
when we finished off last week, we saw how the Israelites, by faith, had done what? They had crossed the Red Sea. They had really, they didn't cross the Red Sea. They had crossed on the, the floor of the Red Sea. As the Red Sea was parted, they made it across the Red Sea. And, and the next verse that we pick up in, in our text, uh, we find them in, in Jericho, and the walls of Jericho are coming down. But something happened on the way to the promised land. Do you remember what happened on the way to the promised land? The Israelites had a lapse of faith. They had a major lapse of faith. They were on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of fulfilling their calling. Just like you tonight, day, are on the edge of fulfilling your calling. You might very well be at that place. You might have said, man, I need to ask the Lord what my calling is. I need to figure out what I need to do with the rest of the years of my life. And then God gives you some calling and you say, man, that's just too much. You might be just like these Israelites. So they were right on the edge of the promised land. Right on the edge of going into the promised land and doing the job that God had called them to do. And that was to occupy the promised land and defeat the Canaanites. And what did they do? They had a lapse of faith. And they didn't really trust God, so they sent in spies into the land. And ten of those spies, and I've challenged you before to name any of those ten spies, because you can't. You can name the two that came back with a good report, but you can't name the ten that came back with a bad report. But those ten came back with a bad report, and they said there are giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their eyes, and they're going to destroy us if we go into that land. And what did the Israelites do? They said, we're not going in. We're not going in. And what did God do? He sentenced them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they perished. Let me ask you, did they perish in faith? You don't find them in the hall of faith. We skip right over them. You don't find them in the hall of faith. You know where you find them? In the hall of shame. Go back to chapter number th chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews, and you can read all about them, how they perished in the wilderness because of one word. What was that word? Unbelief. They didn't believe. They didn't have real faith. And so they didn't make it in. But their children did have real faith. And there was a few people there that that were with them that had real faith. Remember, one of them was Moses, and what did Moses do? Moses led them into the promise, uh, to the edge of the promised land. Did Moses finish the job? Did Moses, did Moses finish the job God called him to do? Yes or no? Yes, good. If you said no, you're wrong. He finished the job God called him to do. His God was, his, his, the job God gave him to do was to bring them to the promised land, not take them in. Moses was never going to take the Israelites into the promised land. Never. And I'll tell you why. Because who does Moses represent? Law or grace? Law. law. And the law does not go into the promised land. You go into the promised land by faith. Who takes them in? A man called Joshua. You know what Joshua is in the Greek? All of you know that. You've been around here long enough. That's the word Jesus. And Joshua is a type of Jesus. Jesus is the one who takes us into the promised land and gives us victory. He's the one who gives us the grace to finish the job. And so Joshua makes it in and, and uh, he finishes the job. He takes them in and defeats the Canaanites. He begins to defeat the Canaanites and, and he does a great job at finishing his job. But no sooner did they get into the land and as soon as they crossed that Jordan, they faced their first enemy. And that was the city of Jericho. And you remember the story. God gave them a plan to defeat Jericho. 
What did that plan require more than anything else? Did it require swords and weapons and chariots? It required one word, what? Faith. faith. They, more than anything else, it required faith. You talk about a plan that required faith. Stop and think about that plan. I mean, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once. Once, one time a day for six days. And that's exactly what they did. And I imagine the first day they marched around the city, those inhabitants of Jericho were, were shaking in their boots. Here are two million people, this great army marching around our city. There's no way we're going to be able to stop them. But then they marched around the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day. And I'm sure the people in Jericho said, they're going to keep marching around as if the walls are going to fall down or something. These silly people, who do they think they are? But on the seventh day, what did God tell them to do? He told them to march around the city seven times. And then what I want you to do is you march around the city seven times. I want you to blow the shofar, the trumpet. And then I want you to all shout to the Lord. And when you shout, the walls will come tumbling down. And that's exactly what happened. The walls came tumbling down. Look at verse number 35, verse number 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho, by faith, by faith. You got that? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You know, God works like that more often than he works by power and might. I can tell you that right now. He works by faith. If you've got some major problem, you might have to march around it a few times to get God to knock it down, but he can knock it down. You need to find out his ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so, uh, by faith, they... They, uh, they saw the walls come down. They went into the city. They killed all the inhabitants except one. Except one. Who didn't they, or except one family. Whose family was that? Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Why didn't they kill Rahab the harlot? Why didn't they kill her and her family? Look at the text. Same thing. By faith. It wasn't because she was a had given, away her, given up her harlotry. It wasn't because she had been a good woman her all her life. Arlet, obviously, she was a prostitute. There's only one thing that saved Rahab, and what was that? By faith, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe the rest of Jericho when she had received the spies in peace or with peace. Now, it's not saying here, if you look at this text, it's not saying here that, that, she, that, it, was the, that it, it was saving the spies that saved her. It, the, the text is not saying that at all. It was her faith that saved her. You talk about a woman of faith. Do you remember what she told the spies when she met the spies when they came to her house of ill repute? Now, what were they doing there? I've always questioned that. Everybody said well, they had good intentions. They figured that was a... That was a good way to get some information. I think they were after something else. You want to know personally. I think they were just like everybody else. They were living by grace. They were pretty bad characters. Not pretty, pretty normal characters. Not good characters, but bad characters. And, and so they went to, they, they had done their job and they went to a house of ill repute. They might have gone there to just get information. And I'm sure they were looking for information while, that, while they were there. But I think they were there for other reasons too. That's my hunch. But do you remember what she told them? They, apparently, she had at least a good, a long conversation with one of these uh, 
one of these spies, I happen to believe it was Salmon. Salmon is the one she ended up marrying. And I believe he was the spy that she married. I believe you want to sit down and write your nice novel one day, write it about Rahab the harlot and Salmon the spy. And I believe they fell in love. And she, in this conversation, she told, she, she told Salmon, she said, I know that Jehovah God has given you this land. For we have heard how he dried up the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, what kind of faith is that? That is real faith. You know how you can spot real faith? Real faith has solid theology. I'm telling you that. That first and foremost. Because faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. She had heard a word about God and she believed the word of God and she was given light. And so she received that light and she received more light. And so it was by faith that she was saved. It was by faith that, that, uh, that uh, she was able to survive the onslaught of the Jews and the falling down of the walls. Let me tell you what. If you have weak theology, if you're weak in the word of God, you're going to have weak faith. If you have strong theology, you're going to have strong faith. If you have bad theology, you have no faith. Your faith's in the wrong God. If your, faith, if, if your faith is not in the God of this Bible, your faith is not going to do you one bit of good. She understood who God was. She understood that he's the God of heaven and the God of earth beneath. She under, so she had real faith. And, she, and because she had real faith, she had the faith to see this thing through. Now, I kind of question, you know, she's told that, hey, you've you got to hang out a scarlet thread, and if you hang out the scarlet thread, you and your family will be saved. She's told that, but she understands that an army of two million people are about to attack the city. You know what a lot of people would have done at that point? They would have packed up and left. They would have gotten out of there. But she had the faith to see this thing through. I mean, she knew the Israelites were coming, but she didn't cut and run. She stayed. And I, let me tell you something else. Her home was sitting on one of those walls, one of those walls that were going to come tumbling down. And you know what she had her faith in? A scarlet thread that she hung out the window. She was told to hang the scarlet thread by the Spirit of God, I believe, by, through the spies. She was told to hang out the scarlet thread. She didn't understand what that scarlet thread represented, but we know what the scarlet thread throughout Scripture represents. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus, just like that, the, the blood on the doorpost represented the blood of Jesus Christ. The scarlet thread represented the blood of Jesus Christ. And so she, she did, not all of us fully understand what Jesus did for us on that cross. None of us will ever understand that. That was an infinite transaction between God and his son Jesus where all the sins of the world were laid upon him we don't fully understand that and that's our scarlet thread but we obey and we believe that and we we obey by believing and that's all she did she all she had was hey the instructions to hang out the scarlet thread and I believe those instructions came in directly from God and she obeyed and she was saved. And so when the walls came down, her walls didn't come down. When they came in and killed all the inhabitants of Jericho, her and her family were not killed. And she marries this guy, Salmon. 
one of the spies, I have no doubt it's one of the spies. And they had a child. And the child was named Obed. No, I'm sorry, the child was named Boaz. You remember Boaz? Boaz married another Gentile named who? Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named King David. And King David had a son named Jesus Christ. If you look at that genealogy in Matthew, and you look at that genealogy in Luke chapter 3, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, that was written before the foundation of the world. God knew exactly who was going to be in that genealogy. So you think maybe Rahab had the faith to finish the job? She was going to finish it one way or the other because God had picked her to be in the line of the Messiah. And so she finished the job because the callings and elections of God are for sure. If God calls you to do something, you're going to do it. You might kick and scream on the way. But you're going to do it. You're going to do what God's called you to do. I promise you. Let's look at some other guys who did what God called them to do. Look at verse number 32. And what more shall I say? Oh, we're going to say a lot, so don't, don't shut your Bibles yet. For time would fail me, but I've got a lot of time. To tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Those are kind of some strange names to be in the hall of faith. I mean, Gideon maybe, Barack. No, that's not Barack Obama, trust me. <laughs> I'll say no more. Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel. David and Samuel, you expect them to be in the hall of faith. And all the prophets. I mean, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they're all mentioned here. They were great men of God. But Barak? Samson? Samson was a great man of God? Yeah, he was. Gideon? You remember the story of old Gideon, right? I love that story. Gideon's, Gideon's running from the Midianites. He's afraid of the Midianites, and he's down in the valley threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat down in the valley. You thresh wheat up on top of the hill because that's where the winds are. And so you thresh wheat and you throw the wheat up and the chaff blows away and the wheat falls down to the ground. But he was threshing wheat down in the valley because he was afraid the Midianites would see him and they would come and kill him. And the Midianites at that time were raiding Israel and every time they'd see the crops come in, they would raid the, they would raid the nation and, and uh, they, were raiding, they were raiding and Gideon was afraid and so he was threshing feet, wheat down in the valley and I'm sure he threw the wheat up and all the chaff came down on top of him and he was a sight to see. And, he, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him right there as he was threshing wheat. The angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, by the way. And he appears 
to Gideon, he says, Oh, Gideon, you brave and mighty warrior. Here he is with all this chaff all over him, a sight to see. And I don't think the Lord was laughing because the Lord knew that Gideon was going to be a brave and mighty warrior. Gideon said, Who, me? You're talking about me? I mean, I don't have, there's nobody great in my family. There's nobody great in Israel anymore. We don't see any great things in Israel. How, how can I be a great and mighty warrior? The Lord says, I'm going to make you a great and mighty warrior. You're going to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon said, well, you remember what Gideon said? I need a sign. I don't believe that. Give me a sign. And so he threw out the fleece. And the sign was that if the, if the ground was wet and the fleece was dry, then he would believe the Lord. And sure enough, the ground was wet and the the uh, fleece was dry, and, and, but he didn't quite yet believe the Lord. And so he threw it out again. And this time he said, if you'll make the, the uh, ground dry and the fleece wet, then I'll believe you this time. And sure enough, the next morning he got up and the ground was wet. Uh, I mean, the, the ground was dry the and the fleece was wet. And he believed the Lord. And he asked the Lord for signs on other occasions. And, and he believed the Lord so much that he finished the job that he and 300 men defeated an army of hundreds of thousands all on their own because he believed the Lord. By real faith, he believed the Lord. Now, you know, a lot of people put down Gideon because he asked for a sign. Is it wrong to ask God for a sign? You know what's wrong is not to believe God and not to obey God. That's what's wrong. You know, remember the guy who's, who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? I mean, there's nothing wrong. I don't let anybody tell you there's nothing wrong with asking God for a sign. Nothing wrong with that. If, if God's called you to do something and you say, Lord, I don't, is that you really calling me to do that? And you ask the Lord for the sign and God gives you, he's going to give you the sign. And if you ask the Lord, is that wrong? No. And I know where everybody runs, they run to, to where Jesus said, you know, an evil and perverse generation seeks, he was speaking to the Pharisees, seeks after a sign. But why were they seeking after signs? They were seeking after signs to be entertained, to be wooed, to be wowed. That's what they were, that's why they were, they were seeking after signs, not to obey the Lord. If your heart is to obey the Lord, and you're trying to find the will of the Lord, there is nothing wrong with Asking God for a sign. I, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to give it to you. I think every time I've asked for one and where God had a task for me to do and I was wondering if it was him, he gave me a sign. He's given me a sign. I mean, I don't ask for signs to see miracles, but I ask for signs to say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to be in your will. Show me. He'll show you. So here was Gideon. I mean, Gideon was a great guy. He finished the job. And then there was the next two guys on the list, man. I, I wonder why they're there. Barak was a chicken and Samson was a philanderer. I mean, both of them, you, they really, you, you, on the surface, you think they don't deserve to be on, in the hall of faith. But they both had real faith. They had the faith to finish the job. You remember the story of Barak over in, in uh, Judges chapter 4. The, the uh, Canaanites under the king of King Jabin had hired this general, this brutal general named Sisera who was wreaking havoc on the Israelites and defeating the Israelites. And at the time, Deborah was judging the land and she was a prophetess. And she came to Barak and she said, I have a prophecy for you. God has called you to defeat King Jabin and Sisera. You're going to defeat them. 
You're to gather your army and you're to lead your army out against them and you're going to get a victory. And they went out. His response to that was, I'll go if you'll go with me. In other words, I'll believe, hey, if you're really a prophetess, you're willing to take that risk, you believe your own prophecy, you go with me, and my man will know that you really believe that prophecy, and, and uh, you go with me, we'll go out, and, and she agreed to go out, but she said, I'll go out with you, but you'll lose some of the glory, and he did lose some of the glory because uh, this woman named J.L. is the one who killed Cicero. Remember, she took a tent peg and stuck it through his forehead with a hammer, she nailed it into his forehead and killed him. And, and Deborah took a lot of the credit for that battle. But did Barak finish the job? Yes, he finished the job. And so he ends up at the Hall of Fame. What about Samson? Did Samson finish the job? You know, I hear expositors all the time say Samson didn't finish the job. Samson squandered, his, squandered all of his talent. He squandered all of his gifts. That's not true. Samson finished the job that God gave him to do. If you go back to uh, Judges chapter 13 and you read that story of when the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and told him that she was going to have a child. She, hadn't, she was barren, hadn't had any children, so that was a miracle in and of itself. But she tells him, you're going to have a child. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's not to drink wine. He's not to cut his hair. And he's going to... And here's his calling. He is going to begin to deliver the Israelites out of bondage, out of the bondage of the Philistines. He didn't, well, the key word there is begin. He didn't say he's going to kill all the Philistines. He's going to defeat the entire Philistine army. He's going to begin to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Philistine army. Did he, did he finish the job? You better believe he finished the job. Did he begin defeating the Philistines? Certainly he did. He killed thousands of Philistines. And on his death, when he pushed those two columns, when he, when he was, had been blinded by the Philistines, he'd been captured by the Philistines, and he put his hands on those columns, and he pulled that, pushed those columns and brought that whole temple down, he killed 3,000 of the Philistine leaders, 3,000 of their lords. And so certainly Samson uh, finished the job that God had called him to do. Then to look at the next guy on the list. There's this guy, Jephthah. I mean, Jephthah, Jephthah was an outcast. You know, God can use outcasts. Jephthah wasn't the most popular guy in the world. I mean, Jephthah, his father went out and had an affair with a harlot, a pagan harlot, and Jephthah was the, the product of that affair. And he brought him back home and he raised him back up. And when his father died, his brothers kicked Jephthah out of the house. Kicked him all the way out of Israel. And Jephthah went down to the land of Tob. And he became, the Bible describes him as a, worthless, a leader of a worthless band of raiders. I mean, that's all he did. He was just a, he was just a raider. He went around raiding villages and, and plundering things to, in order to live. But Ammon attacked Israel. And Israel had no army. The only Israelite they could find anywhere that had an army was Jephthah. So they went to Jephthah and they begged Jephthah to come back home and defeat the Ammonites. And Jephthah asked the Lord and the Lord said, I will give you the victory. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah 
And Jephthah won a great victory. He defeated the Ammonites and he became king of Israel. But he made a big mistake. You remember the mistake he made? He told the Lord right before he went to battle, if you will give me victory over the Ammonites, the first person that walks through my door when I come home, I will offer up as a sacrifice to you. And the first person that walked up through the door uh, was his own daughter. So he was forced to offer. Some say he just sent her away as a virgin. Some say he actually sacrificed her. Did the Lord require that? No. Look, there's a great lesson for that. Did Jephthah finish the job? Yea, finished the job. But, but you don't have to will and deal with God to get God to give you the victory. You don't have to make any rash vows like Jephthah did. All you have to do, if God's called you to do something and you need resources to do it, you have to ask God and believe God. That's all Jephthah had to do. He didn't have to sacrifice his daughter, but he did. And then look at the next people on that list. Look at the next people on that list. David and Samson and the prophets. Now, if I was making that list, I would list David and Samson and the prophets before I would list Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah. They would be on the bottom of my list. They, actually, I don't even know if they would make it onto my list. But they made it onto God's list, and they made it onto the list before David and Samuel did. And I think God is trying to speak to us in that order. We're not going to rehearse what Samson and David did. We know David was the greatest king who ever walked this earth. Uh, uh, he's a forerunner of Jesus Christ. But we know that he had a great fall, didn't he? We, we studied all of that for months when we did 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We know Samuel was probably the greatest prophet who ever lived. Why would they be listed? And the other prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of those guys, they were great prophets. Why would they be listed behind Barak and Jephthah and and uh, Gideon and Samson. Why would they be listed there? Because I believe God is speaking to us there. What he's saying there, it's not how, it, how much you impress people on this earth that matters to God. What matters to God is that you're faithful to the calling that he gives you. And Jephthah was faithful and Barak was faithful and Samson was just as faithful as, as David was faithful. I mean, they both chased women and they and they were he, they was just as faithful the other lesson that we learned is that i've said it over and over again it's not the amount of your faith that you have that's important it's the object of your faith and every single one of these men with all their flaws they love the lord and that's the criteria for for having real faith that's the criteria for completing the job do you really love the lord and if you don't have a job, you got to say, do I really love the Lord? I mean, do you really love the Lord? If you really love the Lord, you've got a calling. You've got real faith. You want to serve the Lord. You want to know what the Lord wants you to do. And these men wanted that. Even though they were flawed in so many ways, they served the Lord and, and uh, they finished the job. All right, now go with me to verses 33 and 34, we'll finish up here real quickly. He says, who through faith subdued kingdoms. I mean, we know Jephthah, David, Samson, Barak, Gideon. Uh, the list goes on of men who subdued kingdoms, defeated enemies, worked righteousness. Well, I don't put Samson on the list of people who worked righteousness or even David. I mean, David worked some righteousness. But most of these men were, 
live for God, and they live godly lives. I mean, Samson, that'd be, be hard to say that about him, but most of these men did. They all obtained the promises. Some stopped the mouth of lions. Who's, who do you think maybe he's speaking of there? I think, oh, Daniel, huh? Now, the angel of the Lord is actually the one who stopped the mouth of the lions, but it was Daniel's faith that did that. Verse number 34, they quenched the violence of fire. I'm thinking maybe he's thinking there of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, uh, they escaped the edge of the sword. I, all of these guys who were in battle escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. All of these men were weak men. They were all weak men, but they were made strong by the Spirit of God. They, so they became valiant in battle. I think of David fighting Goliath and how valiant he was, how weak he was. He was just a child, and yet, yet he defeated this great giant because, because uh, of his faith. It was simply by faith that he did that. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, that's about Star Wars there. Actually, actually that's about foreigners. It looks like a Star Wars verse. Women received their dead, ra received their dead raised to them again, raised to life again, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, in that culture, women didn't go to battle. But they had faith in that culture. I mean, except for Deborah, they didn't, they, not many of them went to battle. But they did greater things than the, than the warriors did. I mean, by faith, they received back their dead. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? I mean, by faith, the, 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 the uh, widow of uh, Zarephath, through Elijah, received her son back to life. By, by faith, the Shumanite woman, through Elisha, received her son back to life. By faith, the widow at Cain received her son back to life. By faith, these women did accomplish great things. They saw their dead children raised to life because they had faith. Others didn't have it so well. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others uh, had still others had trials of had trial of mockings and scourgings. I mean, I think there of of uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Paul. I mean, even Paul, who I think is the author of this, had all sorts of scourgings. They were yes, they were chained and imprisoned. Yes, they were stoned. I mean, Paul was stoned. Stephen was stoned. Some were slain by the sword. Jeremiah was slain by the sword. Some wandered in, in, about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. I think of Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist. And listen to what he says here. Of whom the world is not worthy. Of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. You know, the grace of God is a really amazing thing. I mean, I, I never cease to be amazed at the grace of God. This world, this country we live in, for the most part, rejects God. For the most part, we reject God. We don't want anything to do with God. And if we re reject God, we reject his prophets. This world is worthy of judgment and death. And what does God do in his mercy and his grace? I mean, it's amazing to me. He keeps sending his prophets. 
He keeps sending them out into the world to plead with the world, be ye reconciled. Be ye reconciled. They, th this world spits in his face, and what does he do? He just keeps sending more people to speak to this world. In the very end, he'll have an angel write the gospel in the sky, and the world will still reject him. And all of these, having obtained the good testimony through faith, Everybody we've seen in this whole chapter obtained a good testimony through faith. Yet they did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, the promise. That they should be made perfect apart from us. The promise. What's he saying here in verse number 39? He's saying that they all had a great testimony. Why did they have a great testimony? The same way you get a great testimony. Because they had real faith. Faith to finish the job. But even though they finished the job, God was not finished with them. That's the good news. I mean, these Old Testament saints, it's a good thing God wasn't finished with them. God had much more for them. One day they were to receive the same gift that, guess what? All of us who were born again have already received. The gift that makes us perfect. The gift of salvation. The gift of life. The gift of Jesus Christ in us. They had never received, they had never received that promise. Even though they loved the Lord and they finished the work they were called to do, they had yet to receive that promise. They had to look forward to that promise. Doesn't that put an extra burden on us to fulfill the calling of God? In that we've already received the promise that they never received? What's the promise that they never received? Christ in us, our hope of glory. The divine seed. Something far better than any earthly victory. See, if you're already born again, you have what the Old Testament saints didn't have. Paul says it like this in Colossians 1. He says, this is the mystery that has been hidden from the ages that is now revealed in you. Christ in you, your hope of glory. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Just like the Old Testament saints, God has a job for you. He has a calling for you. He has a purpose for you. And you have the faith to finish that job. Where do we get that faith? It's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should be. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. That's how you get real faith. And if you have real faith, you're going to end up in this hall of faith one day. Because we are not of those who draw back to perdition. We are not of those who quit. The callings and elections of God are for sure. So I don't know what God's called you to do, but don't ever entertain the idea of quitting. Because you have real faith in you. You have faith in you to finish the job. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for... 
your grace and your mercy that you continue to call out to this world of lost sinners, Lord, and people who have rejected you, people who have blasphemed you, and yet you still send your prophets. You still send your children. Lord, you've called every person in this room who's born again. You've, you have a calling for us. You've either given us that calling or you want to give us that calling. You've either told us our purpose or, or you're going, you want to show us our purpose. Lord, that purpose is to go out into this Christ-rejecting world and to tell them about Jesus. I know that's, that's the ultimate purpose you have for all of us in, in the different places where you place us. Lord, help us to see from this text today that, that the faith that we have in us is supernatural faith. There's substance in that faith. And that we have the real faith to finish the job. We just thank you for that faith, Lord. We thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Y'all want to stand? We'll close with a song. 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 Song.